In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make us attentive to your word, we ask. Amen. Our meditation this morning is from Psalm 66 that we, were just, we just heard and we read together. This Psalm 66 may have been a psalm that informed the thanksgiving of the Samaritan, that one leper healed who returned to give thanks. Psalm 66 is an exuberant psalm. We are exhorted to shout for joy, sing the glory of his name, Make his praise glorious. We are given words to say. How awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. There's a rhythm, a pulsating sense to this psalm that beckons us, encourages us, urges us to come into God's presence and to praise and to worship him, to glorify his name gloriously. It's important for us, I think, as followers of Jesus Christ to realize that we don't feel our way into worship. We worship our way into feelings. It is through the act of worship that we find within ourselves, our soul, our spirits, our emotions expressing themselves in praise and adoration to God. That's why the household of faith, the body of Christ, the church is so important because it becomes a context for us as a spiritual discipline that invites us into worship. Worship in spirit and in truth expresses the confidence that we have in God's salvation. Even the enemies of God cower. They may come into his presence cowering, or they may come in his presence like it is said in Philippians, that every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Sing the glory of his name. Glory is a difficult concept to grasp. We often associate it with a kind of an aesthetic experience, that which is splendid and luminous, bright. But the root of the word glory in the Old Testament means heavy, weighty. It has gravitas. Important people kind of invite us into their orbit. Like the sun, like the earth is in orbit around the sun. We never would have imagined that the weightiness of the glory of God would come to be expressed in the cross. That which, from a human standpoint, would be most detestable and horrible becomes an expression of God's infinite love for us in sacrificing his own son that we might come into his presence through his redemption. Worship isn't a spectacle. It's an invitation. Verse 5, come and see what God has done, his awesome deeds for mankind. Come and see. As you know, those are kind of the first words of the disciples in the Gospels. Philip to a skeptical Nathaniel. Come and see. Come and see. The easiest form of evangelism for the church is this invitation. Come and see. Be brought into the orbit of this worshiping community. We don't feel our way into worship. 
we worship our way into feelings. The psalmist sketches just in the briefest way a history of salvation, a course of redemption. Come and see what God has done, his awesome deeds for mankind. He, he turned the sea into dry land. Just a one line, but expressive there of the exodus, of the Passover, the exodus, the fleeing from Egypt. And then another line, they passed through the waters on foot, the crossing of the Jordan after the wilderness experience. The exodus and the wilderness bookended in just two brief lines that speak of salvation. And those who crossed, who crossed the Red Sea, who crossed the Jordan, are the precursors to those of us who have been redeemed in the name of Christ, children of our father Abraham, foreshadowing John the Baptist, who would be on the other side of the Jordan, saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the earth, sin of the world. But this is a, not only a resilient thanksgiving, this is a tested thanksgiving. Verse 8, Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison. You laid burdens on our backs. And you're, you're kind of wait here. We've been celebrating salvation, and suddenly the psalmist turns, and you, God, have really tested us. It's as if you've driven right over our backs. You've put us into prison. You've refined us like silver in the furnace. We went through fire and water. I think this part of Thanksgiving is also important. The acknowledgement that God uses suffering and hardship to strengthen our dependence and our reliance upon him and in a way, the immediate cause of that suffering, the immediate cause of suffering which could turn us into casting blame or invoking the devil or identifying our enemies, all of that's just removed. And it is God who is testing. The second guessing is gone. The identification of the cause of the evil is gone, and God is seen as the sovereign one who's using, permitting, allowing that to strengthen us. One of my students expressed her experience this way, and this week I asked for her permission to use this, and she wrote, I felt academically ready for seminary. I looked forward to three and a half years of immersion in scripture. I was not prepared for the relational vortex that was thrust upon me. For the first time in my life, I felt like a lonely outsider. Suddenly I was on the fringe and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I desperately needed to be broken of my addiction to popularity and self-absorption. I truly had to find my identity in Christ alone. 
It freed and challenged me to grapple with my own sinfulness. It freed and challenged me to grapple with my own sinfulness in a penetrating way to such depths that one afternoon I found myself sobbing in the library, writing on Romans, so moved by the grace of Christ extended to me, a sinner. A few months ago, I went through my mother's uh, old letters. We had moved the box 12 years ago when she died. From her, uh, she was in her apartment in San Diego. We moved to our home, and since then we've moved here. But I had never opened the box, never looked at the letters. This summer, I went through them, not expecting to find anything special, but I found a journal that she kept when I was 18 years old. She wrote, in part, Sometimes during morning devotions, the Lord seemed to be impressing upon me the thought that something was ahead that wouldn't be easy. I was moved to cry whenever I sensed this, and I would hear these words spoken to my heart, I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go. It's a quote from Genesis 28. I felt the Lord reminding me I must require much. And she explained how the Bible plan that she was following was taking her to Job. She writes, I thought no. No, inwardly feeling that maybe this was because I would need the lessons of Job. I did not really want to need these lessons. I skipped Job and went on to the next portion. But then she explains, I was 18 and I was in a Christian book club and the commentary that arrived was a verse-by-verse -verse treatment of the book of Job. It was early. She had bought Christmas cards that year early and she thought, well, she was bored one afternoon and she thought she'd do the Christmas cards. When she went to the drawer to pull out the cards, she remembered that the only other time she had done the Christmas cards early was 15 years ago when my father was diagnosed with stomach cancer. She closed the drawer. She writes, many mornings in November after making Doug's bed, I knelt beside it and prayed for him. I felt the need for this, yet I had never felt the need for this before. I would then go to John's room, that's my brother, and after making his bed, kneel and pray for him too, but I didn't feel the urgency that I did in Doug's room. Looking back, Mom acknowledges the fact that the Lord really prepared her for my cancer diagnosis. At a routine college physical, a lump was detected that proved to be cancerous. And from there, what the psalmist says, says it all, for you, God, tested us. Zach Hicks has an interesting line in his book, The Worship Pastor. He says that God tests us in order to build up our spiritual immunity to strengthen the immunity of the soul. And that's what we see here in this psalm. A resilient thanksgiving, a praise of God for his redemption, and then an understanding of the post-salvation praise, the realities that are necessary of being tested and strengthened. 
to prove the genuineness of our faith. Many of you would know the name of Johnny Erickson Tata, who oh, more than 50 years ago, as a teenager, dove into a river and, and broke her neck and her spine and was quadriplegic. By the grace of God, she has spent 50 years testifying to the power of God's grace in her life. In one of her books, she writes this about imagining what it'll be like with a new glorified resurrected body. She says, Lord Jesus, do you see that wheelchair over there? Well, you were right. When you put me in it, it was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. I do not think I would have ever known the glory of your grace were it not for the weakness of that chair. So thank you, Lord Jesus, for that. Now, if you like, you can send that thing to hell. God tests. It's a tested thanksgiving. But then notice the last section of the psalm, which we'll look at just really briefly here. I will come to your temple, verse 13. I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you, vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I'll sacrifice. And he'll sacrifice a lot. This is a description of a really wealthy kind of sacrifice. We too come into the Lord's presence now. I guess I would encourage you to own the eye. I will come into your temple. The psalmist starts by calling all of earth to praise God, and then the people of God acknowledging how God is tested to strengthen them, and then finally owning the first person singular. I will come into your presence with thanksgiving. I will come to sacrifice. Now, we have one mediator between God and man. The sacrifice has been made to make us perfect. We have so much of the New Testament emphasizing that fact. But then we have a verse like in Romans 12. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship. It's a great invitation to come to the table to celebrate the Eucharist. Verse 17, I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. What a great opportunity to come into God's presence, dependent upon his sacrifice for us, repentant of our sin, determined to allow God to strengthen us to create an immunity of the soul that will turn us to himself. Praise be to God. Like that one leper who came back gloriously, loudly praising God. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise God.